Welcome to Call to Action, a School Sisters of Notre Dame Central Pacific podcast. In season three, we will have guests join us to share how their work and their commitment to SSND's corporate stance for comprehensive immigration reform plays an important role in transforming the world through education and awareness. We look forward to discussing this topic on migration together as we stand in solidarity. I'd like to welcome you all back to another episode of Called to Action. This is season three, Migration, as we stand in solidarity. Sister Anna Marie, how have you been since the last time we met? I'm glad to be back on this episode of Call to Action. And uh, during these days, I have been thinking a lot of our conversation with Sister Kathy Schmidtgens. And um, when she talked about the pull-push factors uh, around immigrations that really talk about those root causes. So I was thinking of the stories that I have heard over the years from the immigrant population that I've had the privilege of of working with and accompanying and being friends with. And, you know, I think of some of them who really came because they felt they were pushed out of their country, whether that was due to economics, um, lack of land to be able to plant, or fear. I think of those who have come up from, especially uh, friends of mine from Mexico, and just the fear of the cartels. And then that pull factor, the fact that they've come up here and they've gotten jobs, they've purchased houses, they have a better education for their children. So um, yeah, just thinking a lot about that. Uh, What about you, Adam? That's what I walked away with too. She had great firsthand stories about uh, seeing a lot of the push factor. That story that she told about being in the Diamond District and how the rebels were making a really hostile environment. I really enjoyed her take and her perspective on them. Well, I am really looking forward to our guest today, Sister Limites. She will also bring a very different perspective than we've heard thus far, having been born and raised in Haiti. I've known her for a number of years from afar. She lives on the another part of the country. But I, I was remembering something that she had wrote about community. And she said that we as school sisters are to be a prophetic witness of God's unconditional love for humanity and for all of creation, and that we are to foster oneness. And that was her description of community. But I thought in regards to immigration, we keep uh, reminding people to put a human face on our immigrant brothers and sisters So that unconditional love that God brings for our immigrant brothers and sisters that we too are to bring. So, Limites, welcome. Thank you so very much, Sister Anna Marie, and thank you, Adam, for having me here. Thank you so much. Every guest we just asked to start off and tell us a little bit about themselves, where you're located now, your current ministry, how long you've been in SSND. I am currently living in Towson, Maryland. It's been close to 15 years since I entered the School Sisters of Notre Dame and close to 13 years since I made my first profession. I am currently working with uh, Beyond Borders. Beyond Borders is a small organization that works in Haiti. We work hand-in-hand with the Haitian people to build uh, movements to end the practice of Restavec, to guarantee universal access to primary education, 
to prevent violence against women and girls, and to replace systems that oppress people living in extreme poverty with systems that support dignified work, sustainable livelihoods. Now, one word I just said uh, that you are probably not familiar with is the word restavec. The restavec practice in Haiti is a practice, like I said, where some parents um, would send their children away in the hope that the child will get a better life. Some of the children end up like with great families and they are treated well. They go to school, get an education. But as you know, other children end up in terrible situations and they get mistreated and some of them even abused. So are they sending them from outside of Haiti or within oh, Haiti, within the, within the country? Yes, within the country. Yes. The School Sisters of Notre Dame and the Atlantic Midwest Province has a partnership. And that's uh, how I, I come to work with Beyond Borders as well. Wow, what an important project. Made me think of when my time in Guatemala, that how many young people went to the capital. And the idea, too, was that they were going to be maids, they were going to work in homes, then on the side, get an education. And how many times that did not work out. What a wonderful um, and important, important ministry to help break that system. So we even have a, a system that we establish with local authorities that we call welcoming families. So those families, we train them on how to welcome some of those children. Sometimes we have activists who identify those children and then try to get them out of the um, domestic servitude, the abusive situation they are in, but it takes a while to find their family members. Sometimes they don't even know where they come from. In the meantime, they find a family that has been trained by Beyond Borders to welcome this child until they are able to identify the family. It reminds me of the situation that happened in the border here in the United States where children of very, very young ages were taken away from their parents and then were not able to identify their parents. They didn't know what, even where they were from. So what um, important exactly. work to help them find their homes. Even even here, it, it's a good point, um, Sister Anna Marie. I remember interpreting for an organization here in the U.S. who had finally made contact with the mother of a child who was here, left behind. The father was deported, and the mother was still in Haiti. And I was asked to interpret. It's a heartbroken story because the mother basically lost her mind, not knowing what had happened to her daughter. She didn't even know the daughter was still alive. And there I was on the phone trying to um, console her, trying to comfort her, telling her that her daughter was still alive and her daughter was being taken care of here in the U.S. And she, she couldn't believe it. We had to really work at convincing her that it was her daughter that was still alive. Wow, how heartbreaking to hear of those kinds of situations. And um, I'm just aware, and I think probably a lot of our audience is aware of, or maybe not, of some of the natural disasters as well as the political situation in Haiti, then also impacts the economic situation. Can you just give us a little bit of background of Haiti? Because I think that'll help put 
this conversation into perspective also as we talk about immigration today. Earlier, you talk about civil drought in some other countries, and it is the same thing that is happening in Haiti right now. This morning, I joined a meeting with team members and talking about the situation in Haiti. And one of the things that they talked about that is really affecting their work is droughts. And also we have um, the gang situation that is taking over a good portion of the country. It's mostly in Port-au-Prince. There is a mobility issue. And as a result, as you know, Port-au-Prince is the capital of the country and a lot of activities are done in Port-au-Prince. With people not being able to move to and from, there is a great deal of hunger going on in several different parts of the country. I was doing a little research on Haiti and found it kind of appalling how long there has been oppressed. What do you think has caused that climate for so long and, and, and so many of those social uprest issues to continue even till today? It is a big question, and it's something that has been going on since really the, the revolution, the end of the 1700s, 1800s. And then, as you know, um, when Haiti finally led a successful revolution and took its independence from France. So this is something that is still um, lingering. And you talk about a Black nation that dared to defy one of the greatest empires of the world at that time in a sense that I don't think this is something that has completely uh, been resolved. You know, when we talk about the, the present day situation in Haiti, and you mentioned that so many people with great reason trying to leave, when they come to the United States, um, what kind of status do they receive? There are a couple, they can apply for asylum. They can also apply for temporary protective status. With asylum, they can get permanent residency. With the temporary protective status, that doesn't uh, give them a path to citizenship. I, I don't know if you are aware of this um, new parole program that is uh, that started earlier this year. Basically, Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela are able to apply but they need a sponsor, and the sponsor is supposed to fill out a form for them. If they are eligible and they have a supporter in the U.S. and they, uh, they pass the vetting process, they can come and stay in the U.S. for up to two years. This is done like for urgent humanitarian reasons. Yeah, I'm glad you're mentioning the different kinds of statuses or in some ways, passageways to get to the United States, and each of them have their their limitations. So as you said, an asylum seeker comes as an individual and then needs to prove, and that's the tricky part, and we've spoken about this on earlier episodes, have to prove that their life is in danger or that there's a reason why they are fleeing. Um, then we have the refugee status which then it's a group of people who have been identified that they are either fleeing um, many times a war zone. So you have your refugees from Syria, Afghanistan refugees who are coming for these countries, but it's been identified. And then you also mentioned the TPS, the temporary status. So again, 
there's no path forward with that at times, or is now this new category with the parole, which again, too, somebody has to be able to sponsor them. I'm glad you pointed out that difference because I was really struggling to figure out the difference between refugees and asylees. It seemed like sometimes they're used interchangeably. To be eligible for refugee status in the U.S., in general, it requires that the person is located outside the U.S. and is unable to return or unwilling to return to their country because um, the words are like a well-founded fear of being persecuted for reasons that have to do with their race, religion, nationality, if they are members of a particular social group or political opinion. An asylum seeker, however, must be physically inside the U.S. And then another thing that they have to keep in mind is that they have to file the application within one year after they they arrived in the U.S. And sometimes they don't know that if they didn't get connected with an attorney at the very beginning when they first got here, sometimes time passes by and they didn't realize that they had to file an application within the year that they've been um, in the U.S. Asylum seekers, they are also required to provide evidence that shows either that they have suffered persecution or they have like a well-founded fear like refugees. You know, for the temporary protective status, some countries are selected like Haiti, Haitian living in the U.S. is able to apply for for TPS. The U.S. has to recognize that uh, those countries are going through some type of turmoil and then um, it is unsafe for those people to return. But again, as you said, that is a temporary status and it lasts only so long. You know, at this time, we have so many people around the world who are forced into migration. Uh, whether that is through war or natural disasters or climate change. You talked about the drought. You know, I I I wasn't even aware of that. I was aware of more some of the natural disasters that have taken place in Haiti. So just to know that that also is affecting how people come and why they they want to come into the United States or go anywhere else. And so that our responsibility, that humanitarian protection, really comes actually from the Geneva Convention. There are international agreements that we are to protect those who are in need, um, whether, whether that be because of political unrest, war within those countries, or because of the natural disasters, that they need to be protected, and we have that responsibility. Um, yes, and I'm, I'm glad you talked about that, Tiziana Murray. And we know that uh, humanitarian protection is also about doing everything possible to advocate for the protection of individuals' rights. I remember I I did um, an internship with Catholic Charities when I was studying in Illinois in the Refugee Resettlement Program. I, I worked with several refugee families. Their stories of being persecuted, tortured, buried alive and living in refugee camps, stories of survival, but stories that really break your heart. 
I, I still pray for this woman. Um, one time there was this woman who called us at the office because something was making a noise in, in the apartment where she was living. So I just took the bus, uh, public transportation, and then went to, to, to the apartment immediately, only to find out that the smoke detector needed a new battery. Why I'm telling you this story is that noise that she couldn't identify was taking her back to the time when she was buried alive in that shallow grave. You can imagine what was going on in her head, in her mind, reliving that experience over and over and over again. We need to do whatever we need to protect those people's rights. And when they come to our door, it is our responsibility not only to welcome them, but to make sure that they get what they need to succeed, to give them a chance at life and to restore their dignity as human beings. I don't know if you remember this from our last episode with uh, Sister Kathy, but we were bringing up the point, uh, Sister Lamatisse, that to help, really, one of the best things we can do is bring those type of stories to light and let people know of the horrific things that are that are happening out there to everyday people that don't get covered on the news, that don't get shared in people's news feeds. Thank you for sharing that because it helps offer another perspective that isn't what comes into people's mind at first when they think about this topic. When you think of how many refugees there are in the world, just the forced migration, what is our call? What are we responsible for? And sometimes we think here in the United States that, well, we open up our doors, we are welcoming. And I was looking at the top three groups of people who are being forced out, the Syrian population, Afghanistan, Sudanese. And we think they're coming here to the United States. You know, the Syrian population being forced to Lebanon, Turkey, Jordan, there's where you're finding the refugee camps, not here in the United States, or the Afghanistan population, which we promised to accept a certain number, which we have not completed. Who's receiving them? Iran, Poland, Uganda, Pakistan. So they are the ones receiving the Afghanistan refugees. In 2022, uh, I read that we received 90,000. There are 6.8 million Syrians refugees. Afghanistan, 2.8 million. We said in 2023, the United States would receive, and this is all refugees, 125,000. How are we responding? And what is our humane obligation, let alone our Christian obligation, to see their needs, to respond with a heart of compassion. My heart breaks every time I watch and read those stories. Sister Limites, you spoke about the drought in that's taking place, and it just reminds me of the intersection that we often talk about that takes place between immigration, racism, and then climate change. Could you Share a little bit about any of those aspects of that intersection. What I'd like to say is that whether a person is a refugee, an asylee, or um, a TPS holder, they are 
people who have fled their countries under very difficult, heartbroken circumstances. Whether the person is Caucasian or black or yellow or brown, we have an obligation to look at them and see a human being in need. And I think that's all I am asking. You know, just look at the people, bypass the skin color. If we reach deep in our hearts, we can do it. What you just said about looking at everybody um, as a human, I, I think that has been pretty much the, the consistent driving bell of our message is treat people with dignity, come up with reform that is humanitarian-based. What would you say to that, Lamatisse? You know, um, I, I think there has been for a while now significant public support for legislation that addresses um, immigration reform. And I think it's about time that Congress takes action. Because right now what we have is one administration after another taking like executive actions around immigration. But if Congress pass legislation, people will know where they stand. We need to stay focused, constantly advocating, asking Congress pass legislation. I mean, um, we need it. We've been talking about this for decades, literally decades. So it is our political system that needs to be fixed with legislation. The not knowing what your status is or the status changing as we change the laws but how do we help people? And, you know, you're talking about like people who have gone through traumatizing times and waiting, not knowing where you stand from one year to the next carries with it such burdens and uh, anxiety. You know, you live in a constant fear of not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow when your status runs out. So it just reminds me, too, that this is so complex that not only is this a national issue, but also it is a world issue. So sometimes we can feel, can feel very daunting, but we do believe in the goodness of humanity, but uh, just to be able to pray. Because to hold them in prayer is to hold them in our hearts, and to hold them in our hearts are to be people of compassion. Would you share and pray with us the prayer for immigration? God of love and compassion, may we always recognize your spirit in the refugee family seeking safety from violence, in the migrant worker bringing food to our tables, in the asylum seekers seeking justice for their families, in the unaccompanied child traveling in a dangerous world. Give us hearts that break open whenever our sisters and brothers turn to us. Give us hearts that no longer turn deaf to their voices in times of need. Give us eyes to recognize a moment of grace instead of a threat. Give us voices that fail to remain silent, but which decide instead to advocate prophetically. Give us hands that reach out in welcome, but also in work for a world of justice, 
until all homelands are safe and secure. Bless us, O Lord. Amen. Thank you, Sister Limites, for joining us today and sharing your compassion for our immigrant brothers and sisters and for all that you do. Thank you. Thank you so very much, Sister Anna Marie, and thank you, Adam. Thank you so much again. Um, And I want to thank the audience for listening with us today and reminding them that we drop a new podcast every two weeks. And I welcome you all to join us again for episode eight when we return discussing DACA and Dreamers with Sister Kathy Doherty. Thank you for listening to Call to Action. I hope you join us for our next conversation airing every other Wednesday. You can listen to past and current episodes of Call to Action by visiting ssndcp.org forward slash call to action or by following us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for your support and remember to follow the School Sisters of Notre Dame Central Pacific Province on Facebook to stay up to date on Call to Action.